Welcome to episode 233 of The Word Encounter. Yesterday, we almost concluded chapter 13 of Romans, so we're going to finish that today and then pick it up in chapter 14. And so um, in chapter 13, let's drop down. Um, it says, put on Christ. We're going to go down to verse 13. This is chapter 13 of Romans. And uh, Paul is saying, uh, is telling the people, you know, he's, he's constantly preaching and talking about things of the Lord to the people, uh, to the, to the uh, Roman uh, believers, both Jewish and Greek. And it says in verse 13, let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in um, sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so it says here that Paul is saying, make no plan to sin. <laughs> you know, sometimes people get up, I guess, uh, and they have plans to sin, knowing that they have plans to sin. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't wake up and plan to sin. Make no provision for it. And, you know, make no provision to gratify the flesh in its desires. Okay. And so let's go on to chapter 14. It says the law of liberty. Now, it's interesting that Paul just talked about gratifying the flesh and, and its desires and whatnot. He's talking about sinful things. And so when we talk about or when we discuss you know, sin and whatnot, it can be very interesting. It can be a very interesting discussion depending on who we're talking to because uh, what I found out in my experience, and Paul is going to address it here, that sometimes people equate personal opinions with sin. In other words, what they believe one should be doing and not doing if one is a believer. And this is based on, if you trace it down, it's based on their opinion. It's not based on the word. But let's get into this. And so in verse 14, uh, excuse me, in chapter 14, it says in verse 1, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. See, in some other translations, it says disputable matters. You know, in some translations, it says of opinions. Matter of fact, let me go here and let me read uh, the Passion Translation, uh, verse one. It says, uh, and, refuse, and refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. You see, and so what we find here is that uh, Paul is saying, look, don't get involved in disputable matters. He's talking about amongst believers. He's talking about in, in dialogue and conversations in everyday life with believers. He says, don't argue about disputed matters. So let's get into some examples here, because this is really interesting. In verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does. Because God has accepted him. And so what is Paul saying? Remember, he had dietary laws, right? And so Jesus already said, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the heart. And so Paul is saying, but some people may carry some of these laws in them and think that if, 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 if you don't obey them, then you are not being righteous. You are not being holy. And another person may be thinking, look, we don't have to do that. That's, what you eat is irrelevant. You know, why are you doing this? You know? Because he, he gets further into this, and I'm going to refrain from commenting until we get uh, deeper into this. It says, um, who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or fall. It says, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. So what is Paul saying? Who are you to judge another household servant? We are all the servants of the Lord. 
See, we are his servants, not each other's. We are all servants of the Lord. And so Paul is saying, who are you to judge the Lord's servants? See, he says, before his own Lord, he stands or fall. Before God, we will stand or fall, not before each other. In verse 5, he says, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Let's talk about Christmas, for instance. Okay, some people uh, think that uh, Christmas is is a is a is a pagan celebration, and therefore, as believers, now we're talking about believers. We're not we're not talking about other people. I'm talking about believers, and so some believers think that Christmas is a pagan uh, a holiday, and others see nothing wrong with celebrating it. You know, a matter of fact, a lot of us get upset when they try to take Christmas Christ out of Christmas, right? And so. Uh, what Paul is saying, look, one person may think this day is righteous and holy and whatnot, and another person may think it's, it's nothing. He's saying let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, if you are one who believes that by celebrating Christmas you are honoring God, then guess what? You are honoring God. See, If you are one who doesn't believe that celebrating Christmas honors God, then guess what? You are not dishonoring God by not honoring Christmas because you're fully convinced in your own mind that that's not the case. See, so the issue is, what are you fully convinced of in your own mind? It's not what Bill thinks or John thinks or Sally thinks or Ann thinks or whatever. It's what do you think and what are you fully convinced in your own mind? What do you believe in your core? Not what, do, what are you saying to yourself because you want to do something or not do something, but what do you really believe in your core? What are you fully convinced of in your mind? That's the issue. Then it says in verse 6, whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. See, and so the person that honors the day is, is, um, is honoring the day as unto the Lord. They believe this honors the Lord, therefore they are. The person who doesn't honor the day because they don't believe it honors the Lord, they're not dishonoring the Lord by not honoring the day. The person who eats, you know, eats as unto the Lord. In other words, if a person eats meat, you know, and they're giving thanks for the meat because they're fully convinced in their mind that there's nothing wrong with this and God has given this to us, then he is honoring the Lord. The person that doesn't eat meat is doing the same thing. If he's not eating meat because he believes it honors the Lord to not eat meat, then he is honoring the Lord by not eating meat. It's what you're fully convinced of. It says in verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? So Paul is saying, look, this issue is between you and the Lord. Why are you judging your brother or your sister? Or you, why do you uh, despise your brother or your sister? So he's, he's analogizing this judging to despising them. It says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. See, we will stand before the judgment seat of God and we will give an account of ourselves. And we're not given an account with each other. You know, a lot of times we, we, we get involved in trying to please each other, not serve each other, but please each other. There's a difference. We are to serve each other. Okay? 
But sometimes we get into people pleasing. See, and that, that's not going to cut it when we stand before the judgment uh, seat of God. He's going to be, uh, uh, we're going to have to give an account to him, directly to him. And it won't be sufficient to say, well, you know, because John said this or Sally said that. No, 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 no. Paul goes on, he says in the law of love in verse 13, therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. Now, how can we put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of our brother or sister? Let's keep going. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul is saying that nothing is unclean to eat in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. So Paul is saying, I'm fully convinced that nothing in itself is unclean. However, if someone does consider a thing to be unclean, then to that person, it is unclean, even though I know it not to be unclean. In verse uh, 15, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Let's keep going. Do not destroy by what you eat someone from whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. <clears throat> let me stop right there. Okay, so what is, let me give an example here. So let's say you're fully convinced that nothing that you eat is unclean. Now, there are a lot of people that happen to believe that pork is unclean. Okay, and so let's say there are two believers, both believers, I'm talking about two believers. And let's say one person uh, believes that there's nothing unclean, and they love pork chops, okay? The other person, let's say, is not as mature in the faith as the one who loves pork chops, but they believe that not eating pork honors the Lord. So let's say the person who, who likes the pork chops invites the other person over for dinner. So he comes over for dinner. The person who likes pork chops says, well, I want to have pork chops, but he knows that the other person does not uh, uh, subscribe to eating pork, and so he's going to make for him chicken or something else, okay? So he's not going to you know, make pork for him, but he's going to make chicken or something else for him. So he comes over to dinner, and they're having dinner, and the one that's eating pork chops is eating his pork chops, and the one that has the chicken is served chicken. Now, that may seem like the person who is eating the pork chops is honoring the person who doesn't subscribe to eating pork. But I would suggest that that might not be the case, because what the person who doesn't believe or who believes that eating pork is not an issue, he's putting a stumbling block in front of the person who believes that eating pork is an issue. See, by him eating pork, by him doing what he wants to do in front of the other one, then he's putting a stumbling block because he's the more mature one in the faith. And the, the younger one in the faith, in the faith, the less mature one has an issue, you know, because they don't know if this is kosher or not. And so he's causing him some mental distress. So instead of him having pork chops because that's what he wants, just have chicken like the other guy. You know, even though you know there's nothing wrong with eating pork. I hope that makes sense. In verse 17. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, we, we boil down the important things to these non-critical issues. 
See, Paul is saying you, you're debating over what you can eat. and That's not the critical issue. The kingdom of, of God is not what you eat and what you drink. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's not about whether you eat this or eat that or eat something. Uh, what they were having an issue with in the day is that there, a lot of their meat sources, excuse me, were, were um, sacrificed to idols prior to going to market. And so a lot of believers did not want to consume things that were sacrificed to idols. And so therefore they decided that they wouldn't eat meat. They would just eat vegetables. But the mature uh, uh, believers said, look, they, idols are nothing but wood and gold and silver. They're nothing. They mean nothing. Therefore, sacrificing to them is meaningless. So they didn't have an issue with eating meat. And so, but this was because the body in, in Rome was very diverse. This was causing an issue. So Paul is trying to explain to them, it's not what you eat or drink. See, you're getting distracted. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Those are the issues. That's what's critical. In verse 18, whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. In other words, one who uh, um, recognizes that the things that they can do, that they could do, even though there's nothing wrong with them, might harm other believers. One who recognizes that and then therefore does not do, thing to do things to harm other believers. It says that's acceptable to God and that receives approval so, so people recognize that he's actually serving other people by not putting obstacles in their way. Verse 19, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Instead of arguing about these disputable matters, you know, let's pursue what promotes peace and let's build one another up. Let's not be at each other's throats and debating and arguing over Stupid stuff over opinions. It says, do not tear down God's work because of food or anything else that is non-critical. It says, everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. See, it is a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine, even though there's nothing wrong with eating meat or drinking wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Like I said before. It's good if you refrain from doing some things in their presence, you know, because you don't want to make them stumble. You don't have to do things that make other people stumble in their presence. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, if you are doing things that you know that there's nothing wrong with, but that other people have a problem with, Paul is saying, blessed are you if you don't, if you don't fall into self-condemnation because of that. If you're fully convinced that there's nothing wrong with this and you partake of it, but you're not putting stumbling blocks in front of other people, Paul is saying, don't condemn yourself by doing so. In verse 23, however, whoever doubts stands condemned. If he eats because he is eating from his, because he is eating, his eating is not from faith. You see, in other words, but if you're not sure, if you're not sure if this pork thing is legit or not, and then you eat it anyway, you see, Paul says, then you do stand condemned because you're not sure. You're doubting. See, you're doubting because you think I might be sinning, but I'm going to do it anyway. He says, therefore, you stand condemned. See, the issue, again, is being fully convinced. 
And it says, in, uh, if he eats because he is eating, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. Now, we see here the definition of sin is being ratcheted up. See, in the Old Testament time, sin was very, very uh, easily and quickly defined. You know, do not mur murder, do not commit adultery, do not do this, do not do that. You can eat this and not that, do this and not that. And so we had rules that we could follow, right, in the Old Testament. In New Testament times, in present day times, sin has a different definition. Sin is, is based on the curve, if you will. It's based and it's judged individually. I'm, I'm talking about outside of the obvious things, you know, murder, rape, you know, theft. And those are the obvious things. Outside of the obvious things, it's based on what you're fully convinced of. If you're fully convinced something is not right and you partake of it, then you are sinning. See, that's the issue. And therefore, what is sin can change from person, not can, but does change from person to person. Because different people are fully convinced of different things. Again, this is outside of the obvious stuff. Let's go on to chapter 15. Pleasing others, not ourselves. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. In the example I gave before, you know, with the inviting the other believer over for dinner, right? It says you could, you could please yourself by eating pork, but you might be putting a stumbling block in this other person's way, in his, in his uh, Christian journey, you see? And, and, and that's sin. That's not right. You don't need to please yourself that night. Eat chicken like the other guy. Have pork chops the next night. <laughs> it says in verse 2, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good. We're to do things that are for our neighbors, our brothers, our fellow believers. We're to do things that are for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the, result, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through, uh, and through the encouragement from the scriptures. And so the whole purpose of the scriptures, you know, or one of the purposes of the scriptures and whatnot, so that we can see it is what is written for our instruction, for our guidance so that we can have hope, see, so that uh, that hope can fuel our endurance and we can have encouragement from the scripture. I, I hope this whole word encounter thing is encouraging you because that's, that's a part of the purpose of the scripture. In verse five, it says, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Okay? In other words, we are to have a unified repre representation and a unified worship of God our Father. And we are to display this before the world. What we do right now is we display uh, what's on display in a lot of cases is our disagreements. And therefore, uh, we bring reproach upon the kingdom. We don't glorify the kingdom through that. We glorify the kingdom through a unified representation of the kingdom and unified worship of God our Father. Glorifying God together. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. So remember, Paul is talking to a diverse audience. 
right? He's got Jews, Greeks, and others. <laughs> He's got Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> and so they have different customs, different. So they're very diverse, uh, this, this, uh, this body in Rome. And so that's who he's writing to. And so he has to keep this diversity thing in mind as he tries to uh, uh, edify them and encourage them to be unified as one, even though they're very different. He says, and again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with this people. So he's telling the Greeks and the Gentiles, rejoice with the Jews. This is from, this is, this is uh, what is written, you know, rejoice, you Gentiles, with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. Let all the peoples from all over the place, all ethnicities, let all the people praise him. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, talking about Jesus, the one who raises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. And so the Gentiles, along with the Jews, will hope in Jesus together. And then um, for the rest of 15, Paul goes on to detail some of um, uh, uh, his plans for his future trips and how he's trying to get to Rome to visit them. That is his heart's desire. Um, he wants to make his way to Spain and stop in Rome on the way. And so uh, let's go to chapter 16. And in chapter 16, uh, it says, greetings uh, to the Roman Christians. And Paul greets a myriad of, of diverse Roman people there. He, he, he's in, in his writings, he's, he's greeting people by name. You know, and he says, give my greetings to Priscilla. Give my greetings to Aquila. Give my greetings to this person, that person. And he goes on very personal greetings. And these are people uh, that are Greeks, that are Jews, that are women, that are men that are old, that are young, that are rich, that are poor. And so he's just, he's just um, uh, this set of scriptures is just showing the diverse set of people that make up uh, the, 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 the congregation in Rome. Okay. And so we go on, let's drop down to verse 17. And Paul is given a warning. He said, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. Amen and amen. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and, and flattering words. And I would say that this warning was not only for those Christians in Rome at that time, but this warning goes for Christians in the earth today, regardless of where they may be in the world. Be on alert. OK, this is why it's important to study and understand the scripture. Because if you study and you get to know the scripture, then you can know when somebody is going off script. See, you can know when somebody is preaching a word that is contrary to what's in the Bible. But if you don't know what's in the Bible, you can be easily dissuaded. You can be easily manipulated. You see, that's why it's important. And and to and we'll find out. Excuse me. In in um, in scriptures to come how the onus is on you not to be misled. So you can't say, well, so-and-so misled, misled me, therefore that's why I went in this direction. No, 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 no. That's not going to fly. You have to know what's in here so that you cannot, so that you don't allow yourself to be misled. So Paul is giving them this warning. <clears throat> he says in verse 19, in his conclusion, 
The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. I want you to know what is good. See, a lot of us get really familiar with the wrong things but not so much with the right things. So we get like a PhD in the wrong things and we get a high school diploma in the good things. See, in verse 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And in his final salute to them, it says, glory to God. Paul, I, I love the way Paul opened the letter. If you, if you remember the, the long and eloquent uh, prose that he used to introduce himself to the church in Rome and whatnot. And he's going to give a magnificent send-off here. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according uh, to the gospel and the pro- proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long, uh, for long ages. And so the mystery about Jesus and all this, this was um, uh, held uh, from the Old Testament. No, they didn't know. But now this is revealed after Jesus has come, has died, and has been resurrected. He says, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. And so we see that as Jesus was uh, born, raised, and started to preach, and then died and ascended, that everything was always being referenced back to Old Testament scripture. According to the command, uh, the, uh, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith. This sums up Paul's ministry. His ministry was about advancing the obedience of faith. And really, that sums up what all of our ministries should be. We need to be advancing the obedience of faith. He says, um, of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And with that, we have concluded the book of Romans. I hope you enjoyed that journey. I highly recommend you go back, particularly in like chapters six, seven, and eight. You know, when Paul can get into this sometimes what appears to be double speak. And so you really need to sit down, squat down, not only you, me too, and just and just marinate and meditate and read and study and just try to uh, understand and appreciate exactly what he's saying in those particular books. And uh, but uh, chapter 14 is also critical, in my opinion, because it's, it's trying, Paul's trying to communicate how we're to deal with, uh, with each other as far as a diverse group of people that may have different subtle differences in how they think and cultural influences and you know what's good and what's bad and, and all that. So chapter 14 is also very important. And then there's chapter 10, where... It's referred to in many cases as the Roman road as far as how to lead somebody to the belief in Christ. And um, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will be saved. If you haven't made that public confession, I highly advise that you do so. But you got to mean it from your heart. If you don't mean it, don't say it. You know, <laughs> But if you mean it, if you really feel it, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you make that confession. Call a friend, another believer. Make that confession to them if you're alone. Invite them into your heart, but don't stop there. Allow the Holy Spirit to start to govern the things that you do and say and live for the Lord.
Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he grace us with another day of life, we will pick up the book of 1 Corinthians tomorrow in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.